I don't know how things are with, with Jonathan, the way the Lord puts things on his mind, but in the past it's always been the Lord had put something on my mind and until I actually got to share that, it would just burden me. And lately, I, I've actually had several things on my mind. The Lord has not cleared anything up until just the last couple of days and He's put something uh, on my heart. And it comes from John chapter 9 and in John chapter 9, Starting in verse 1, it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And what is stuck on my mind, it says, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And, and we know that right after this, God takes the, or Jesus takes the clay and he makes spittle and he puts it on the man's eyes and the man's sight is returned to him. But what I have dwelt on these last couple of days is how often in our lives, when we come upon trials and we come upon tribulations, 
Do we tend to look back at the example of David and his sin with Bathsheba? And we want to know what is the sin in our life that has beset us so that we should go through these tribulations. When Christ tells us it's not always our sin that has beset us. Sometimes it is so that we might show forth the glory of God. He sends the trials and tribulations to us that we might honor Him through them. That we might praise Him through our trials. And be an example to those around us. As I was coming into church this morning, uh, David Jeremiah came on and I don't agree with David Jeremiah on everything he says, but you know, some things he's just spot on with. And he was talking about John chapter 16. Jesus says, in this world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. But he says, understand, Jesus did not say I have overcome the tribulation. Christ does not just overcome our tribulation. He overcomes the very source of that tribulation so that we might honor Him through it. So as we're going through trials, as we're going through temptations, let us not look at the example of David, but let us look to Christ and honor Him through those trials. Room for a buffet. Brother Elliot, will you lead us in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you to praise you and be with all those who are sick, Lord. Pray that you heal them. Pray that you be with our services this morning. Pray that they will be honored to you. Pray that you will be with your name. I'd like to start with Psalm 100. Psalm 100, verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. We did that this morning. Were our songs pitched just right? No. Is every note just on key? No. But it was a joyful noise. A shout of joy. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not ourselves. We are His people the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. 
Why? Verse 5 tells you why. 4. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endureth to all generations. If I had to title this message, it would be very simple. God is good. Simple children's prayer, right? God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for this food. I've heard that out on the soccer fields. At the YMCA, we pray before each soccer game. We'll ask the kids if they want to pray, and we'll, we'll bow our heads, and we'll pray for the food. Because <laughs> this is the, the patterns that they've been taught, which is, which is fine. But that simple child's prayer, God is good, contains a lot of truth that you and I need to hold on to. God is good. All right, so I'm going to step back for just a minute and frame us back in where we've been for the last two weeks and kind of recap. The question that I ultimately want to answer is how do I tell somebody about my Jesus, right? And the way I, that I said I'm going to try and answer that is using the, story, the song, Because He Lives. And the first words in that is God sent His Son. And so for three messages, we're going to be just on that first word of, of God. Because the God of the Bible is very different than the God that people have out in their heads. And that's why, maybe to overkill last week, I hit y'all with a lot of different verses to emphasize all these different areas. And so I'm going to try and go easy on you today. Uh, I, I didn't say it'd be shorter. I just said I'd go easier on you. <laughs> and have fewer references. But I really, really want us to keep those kind of high-level thoughts in mind. I want to be able to tell someone about my Jesus. I'm going to use that song, God sent his son. God. Okay, well, where do we start? Acts chapter 17. uh, Paul was preaching on a particular hill called Mars Hill. So if you go to Acts 17 and you scan down until you find the word Mars, you're at it. So let's look at it just real briefly. Nothing else will give you another excuse to practice flipping to it. Acts 17, jump in at 23. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God whom ye ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. So he's going to declare the God of the Bible. Verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, creator, seeing he is the Lord of heaven and of earth, the ruler, the master, the sovereign. He dwelleth not in temples made with hands. He is omnipresent. He is in all places, near and far. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything. He is independent. He does not need you. He uh, exists within himself. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. He is the sustainer. And hath made hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations. He is active in this world. That they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. So a God both far and near. Omnipresent again. Verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being. We'll just stop there for today. I can go reread the whole chapter. That'd be wonderful. That's not part of your homework assignment. That's a bonus. All right. So the sustainer. That was where we started. Acts 17. 
And then as we sang our scripture songs this morning, since we've sung them all, we won't practice them again. I would planned on it, but it just worked out well. So 1 Timothy 1.17. 1 Timothy 1.17. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. A lot of different attributes about God discussed there. We spent a whole sermon on it. You can go listen to it again. Acts chapter 17, 1 Timothy 1.17. How am I going to tell somebody about my God? These are two real good places to start. King, eternal, immortal. Difference between eternal and immortal. You got that? Eternal, without beginning, without end. Immortal, unchanging. Scripture also uses the term incorruptible, without decay, unchanging. Immutable is another. All synonyms, right? Invisible, the only wise God. He has all knowledge. Okay? So that sums up two weeks ago. Last week, we went a little bit farther and started looking at what I will describe as some of the characteristics of God as opposed to attributes. And where did we go? Deuteronomy. Oh, Deuteronomy 32.4. Right? We sang that this morning. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment. A God of truth. Without iniquity, just and right is he. He's the rock. He's mighty God, immutable God, unchanging. His works and his ways are all just right. They're perfect and they are just. He is a God of truth, which is firmness, trustworthy, stability. Without iniquity, there is no sin. There is no evil. There is no perversity. None. Just and upright is he, or straight. Okay. So that's where we're at. So if you remember nothing else, from all these sermons, if you can remember Acts 17, 1 Timothy 1, 17, and Deuteronomy 32 and 4, you're doing really good. And there's two scripture songs built in there, and so those are easy to hang on to. Even if you can't remember the citation, just sing the song. I'm sure you'll get some funny looks at McDonald's when you're telling somebody about it. That's okay. All right. Today, as we just saw there in Psalm 100, verse 5, The Lord is good. God is good. That's where I want to spend my time today. Um, We started singing a little late, so I have no qualms about preaching a little late. Psalm 100 verse 5 says, The Lord is good. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. Okay, and just because we like patterns, go to Psalm 107 verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. You could guess that, right? Even you haven't flipped it yet. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And then one more time, just for sake of, well, sake of giving another, 135, verse 3. Psalm 135, verse 3. Praise the Lord. You know what that praise means? It means to shine or to make a boast. You get to boast about your God. Why? For the Lord is good. Sing praises. That praises means to celebrate. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. And that word pleasant really isn't strong enough. It's more like delightful. His name is wonderful. Okay? You get to sing praises unto his name, for he is good. Celebrate the Lord, for he is good. All right, which brings us to a question that seems crazy that we even have to ask it, but what is good? 
what's good. Bring you a pizza with pineapple and ham on it and ask you, is this good? <laughs> Some people are going to have very strong opinions about that. And that's a silly illustration, but if that's how we define good is just, well, what I think or what I feel or what I believe, guess what? I can change. I can change within, I mean, good grief. You have to find something your kids like, have it again the next week. See if they like it again. Odds are they won't, just to make life hard, but it changes. Your taste changes. An individual taste change between individuals, and they change over time. There's a lot of change. However, we have just seen that God is good. Does God change? No. He is immortal, unchanging. Therefore, what else can't change? Good. What's good cannot change. God is good. Good cannot change. The world will try to tell you that, change, that good is subjective, that it can change. Okay? We're talking big picture good here. All right? And I'm going to read you a definition. You know, preachers like to use the Webster's Dictionary for English words. But they like to use the one back from the 1800s. So I'm going to read you a definition from Webster's from 1800s versus the one today. And you tell me if things have changed just a little bit. This is the definition of good. Having moral qualities best adapted to its design and use or the qualities which God's law requires, virtuous, pious, religious, conformable to the moral law. 1828 Webster's. Today. Something conforming to the moral order of the universe. Where do we go for information? Can we trust necessarily the things that are being put forth today? No. So when we need definitions about what is good, let's go see how God defines good. Okay? And I'm going to go take you back to Exodus. We mentioned this one in passing the other day. Teed it up a little bit, but I want you to go with me to Exodus 33. Our goal here is to develop our definition of good in biblical terms. What does God say is good as opposed to what does man think is good? All right, so we're in Exodus 33. Let me just remind you of our stage. Um, God, uh, Moses has been up in Mount Sinai with the Lord. He's been up there for a long time, 40 days without eating or drinking. Down in the camp, things have been going a little awry. Right? The, the people said, you know, we don't know what happened to that joker. Moses, um, we want somebody to go before us and be our gods. Hey, Aaron, make us a god. And so he says, break off your earrings, give me all your gold. And then he melts it, he takes a graving tool, and he makes the golden calf, right? Baby cow. He says, here's your gods to go before you. Moses has not been gone very long, and they've been able to see firsthand all the miracles that God did to bring them out of Egypt, and yet they've already gotten into idolatry. Now Moses comes down because God told him, you better get down. They've already gotten into idolatry. I'm going to kill him, and he has to plead with him. Please don't kill him in advance before he even goes down. Then he goes down. He breaks the Ten Commandments. Right? And they have the scene where those that are on my side will fight for the Lord, and there's like 3,000 killed that day, right? And then there's plaguing going on because of the sins that they, of, of idolatry. They're serving this idol and ascribing the goodness and might and glory of God to this carved golden lump, right? That's what's going on. 
So during the course of that, God has told uh, Moses, you need to go, go on. I'm going to send my angel with you, but I'm not going to come with you. My presence won't go with you. This is Exodus 33, and uh, we'll just read 2. And I will send an angel before thee. I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Those are all the ones who are in the land of Canaan already. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee. For thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. So God's saying, my presence is not going to go with you on the journey. Okay? And so jump down to verse 12, just for the sake of time. Moses is going to plead with God, please send your presence with us. If your presence doesn't come with us, we don't want to go. I don't want to go. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast found grace in my sight. So he's quoting back God's words to him. He said, I know you by name, and you found grace in my sight. Now therefore, Lord, that's the case, I pray, if I have found grace in thy sight, Show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And God responds and he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. Okay, that's great. That's the first request. Lord continues. He said unto him, oh, this is Moses responding back. If thy presence go not with me, carry us up not hence. For wherein shall it be known that I and the people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And so there's the division here. Moses is saying the children of Israel are going to be different and special because the Lord's presence is with them. They are separated from the rest of the world. Okay, That's what marks them as different. It's because thou go with us. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also as that house, that house also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. So he's agreeing. First request. He's agreed. All right. Second request, Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. So all that was context. If you've zoned out, come back in. Moses is asking to see the glory of the Lord. He first asked, please send your presence with us. Now he's asking, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And this is God's response. I will make all my goodness. This is the same word from Psalm 100 verse 5. The Lord is good. I'll make all my goodness, and that the, the definition is not very helpful. It just says good in the widest sense. <laughs> but same word, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Paul is going to later quote that in Romans. And he said, thou cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass when my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I shall take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. And there's a wonderful sermon in there. We could talk about Jesus and how I was pointing to. I don't have time. Chew on that. Gonna put him in the cleft of the rock, and he's going to see the back parts. He's going to see the goodness of the Lord. He's going to see the glory of the Lord. Not all of it, not full reveal, because no man can see it and not just be wiped out. You can't see it and live, not in this world. And Moses said, and the Lord said unto Moses, chapter 34, Hew thee two tables, like in the first. He was telling, bring some more 
tables, come up to the stone, and we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna come visit you. And so Moses does, and Lord, as he commanded, took the stones up. We're gonna jump down to verse 5. Okay? 34, 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud, and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. It kind of reminds me of that verse we looked at last time, right? About the Lord being obscured with, with, cloud and darkness, but yet his throne was foundation on judgment and righteousness, right? So he's going to come down in a cloud, and he stood there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. All right, This is what he's going to proclaim. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, Jehovah, the eternal God, the Lord God, the eternal mighty God, Elohim, merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, okay? keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity upon the fathers, upon the children, the iniquity of the fathers, upon the children, upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head to the earth and worshipped. All right, so why do I go through all this? I want a definition for good, right? The Lord said he's going to make his goodness pass before him. And these are the attributes that he is going to talk about that I understand to be built into what is good, to be built into that goodness. The Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness. That's a different goodness. That one translates to kindness. It's more like a blessings or favor. And truth. Keeping mercy, that's the same word as goodness right above. Keeping kindness for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Okay? You have these characteristics. The mercy there. Let's start with merciful. The Lord God, merciful. Elsewhere, this word will be translated as full of compassion, full of pity. Okay? And you've got graciousness. Long-suffering, that could also be translated as slow to anger. And then here you've got goodness, uh, abundant goodness, a super abundance of goodness, kindness or blessings, right? And then that truth there is translated to the stability, the trustworthiness, okay? And he's going to forgive things. That forgive means to lift away. Lift away iniquity, which means perversity or evil, transgressions, which are revolts or rebellions, and sin, both the offenses and their punishment. Okay. If you want a definition that includes aspects of what goes into good, I think this is a good starting point. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness or kindness and truth. Okay. And notice how Moses responds. He just kind of takes in, okay, well, this is nice. I'll see you next week. He makes haste and bows his head towards the earth and worships. Your God is worthy of worship for his goodness in and of itself. God is good. His goodness is worthy of your worship and adoration. Okay? I want you to go with me to Psalm 86. Okay? Losing my notes here. Psalm 86. Now, I'm going to spend some time in Psalm 86. So you don't have to flip a whole lot for a minute. 
There's a lot going on in this. I want to just assign this for homework, but I want to actually go through it, so we'll get you some different things to read. Psalm 86 and verse 1. Bow down thine ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. We talked last time about the Lord. When he has to humble himself to look down into his creation, how much more so is he humbling himself and stooping down as the infinitely superior down to you as the inferior to hear your cries. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, and hear me, for I am poor and needy. Y'all ever been poor and needy? Are you poor and needy this morning? Poor means to be distressed, to be depressed, to be lowly. I'm poor and needy. Needy is I, I am destitute. I'm in want of something. I am poor and needy. Verse 2, preserve my soul. Lord, sustain me, for I am holy. And that word holy could be translated as kind, pious. It's also used for godly or a saint. It's not saying that you are perfect and without sin, but you are one of God's, one of His. For I am holy, O thou my God, save thy servant. It's another way of saying it, holy. I am thy servant that trusteth in thee. His servants will trust in him. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me. That merciful there has that same imagery of bending to bestow kindness. Okay, Bending down to bestow kindness. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant. That word rejoice means to brighten. If you need to be brightened, what are you? You're dimmed. You're in the low light. You're discouraged. Brighten my soul. Rejoice the soul of thy servant. For unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Who is the psalmist looking for for each of these things? He's not looking within himself. He's recognizing that he's poor. He's needy. He's lowly. He needs the Lord. Verse 5. For thou, Lord, art good. That's why he's praying to him. For the Lord, thou art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy, abundant mercy unto all them that call upon thee. That mercy there is the kindness, the blessings. Right? Notice that it's qualified. Plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. The Lord's mercy and love and goodness is not shared equally among all creation. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer. Attend to the voice of my supplications. Hear me. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. He's confident that the Lord will answer him in the day of his trouble. Among the gods, little case G, there is none like unto thee, O Lord. He's unique. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. There is no else. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord. And that Lord there is Adonai. That means master, Lord, ruler. Neither are there any works like unto thy works. All his works are perfect. Right? Creator. All nations who thou hast made shall come and worship before me, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. That sounds like the last day. Right? They're all going to come. They're all going to worship and glorify thee. Why? For thou art great. He's mighty. He's all-powerful. He's abundant. 
Thou art great and doest wondrous things. The mighty creator does wonderful things. In his providence and in his mercy, he does wonderful things. Thou art God alone. Again, unique. There's no one like him. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Who should be my teacher? Lord himself. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in my truth. I will walk in thy truth. Excuse me, not my truth. I don't want to walk in my truth. My truth changes. I want to walk in thy truth, in the truth of the Lord, the only truth. Catch this next clause. Unite my heart to fear thy name. So often we live in that double-minded state. One foot in the world, one foot trying to serve God. The unite means to make one. Make one my heart to be one, to fear thy name. That way in the next verse I can say, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart. Not just a piece of it. Not the piece that's convenient. All of it. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify thy name forever. Verse 13, for great is thy mercy towards me. Kindness and blessing. Great is thy mercy towards me. Thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell, from the lowest grave, from the darkest depth you've ever been in. In your depression, despondency, affliction, you've been able to deliver him from there. There's no spot too deep where you cannot escape from the Lord's presence. O Lord, the proud are assembled against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after me and have not set thee before them. But, so he is in an urgent state of trial and affliction right now, but, but thou, O Lord, Adonai, Master, art a God, mighty God, what? Full of compassion and gracious, plenteous, sorry, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. We'll come back to that. That's where we want to really hit on today is verse 15. O turn unto me and have mercy unto me. Give thy strength unto thy servant. How often we pray, Lord, give me strength. And what we're really asking is, Lord, give me strength from me. Lord, give me thy strength. So that I'm recognizing on it's coming from you. And you get all the glory and honor and praise for whatever you do. Give me thy strength. Give thy strength unto thy servant. And save the son of thy handmaid. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because thou, Lord, hast helped me or helped me and comforted me. All right, verse 15. All that. I really just wanted verse 15, but I felt like it was worthy to go through and get the context to see him what great distress he's in, and yet you're still focusing on the goodness of the Lord, of him being full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. All right, full of compassion. Compassion. Pity. The root word here in Hebrew is interesting. It means to fondle or to love. Okay, Exodus, this is the same word back in Exodus that was translated merciful, same Hebrew word. But this idea of, of to fondle, or elsewhere it would be translated to dandle, which are kind of antiquated words, but you'll recognize the concept once we go there. So I want you to go to Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. This is the last book in the book of Isaiah. You know, briefly, the context is going to be pointing towards the new Jerusalem, um, the new creation the Lord will do when things are perfect. I mean, that's, that's 
your general context, and that's actually one of your homework assignments to read the whole thing. But I just want to jump in at verse 10. Rejoice ye with Jerusalem, and be glad with her, all ye that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn for her, that ye may suck and be satisfied with the breast of her consolations, that ye may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. Listen to verse 12. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. Y'all know that was there? We sung that song how many times? When peace like a river extendeth my way. That's the epitome of the Lord comforting us. And the next clause in that verse is when sorrows like sea bills roll. It's the exact opposite. Regardless of the extreme, it is still well with my soul. That nugget was free. I just discovered that as I was in here. Chew on that. Behold, I will extend peace to thee like a river and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall ye suck. You shall be born upon her sides and dandled upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, and ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. All right. I want you to take this word, this kind of abstract word full of compassion, and put it down into the terms that the Lord describes here about a young child who's so young that it still needs to be carried on its mother's breast to eat. All its sustenance comes from the mother, right? To get anywhere, it has to be carried around on her side. And when things are bad or when things are good, you play with that child, bouncing them on your knee. That's what it means to dandle. That's how compassionate, that's how loving, that's how merciful, that's the great pity that your Father, your mighty God, has for you. With the same pity that you would have for a small child when it's there crying and you've got the ability to pick it up, to bounce it on your knee, to carry it, to feed it. That's what he says. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. What a picture of the intimacy that you have with your father. How good is your father? And just to carry this analogy a little bit forward, imagine the child's just a little bit older. Not an infant anymore, but a toddler. And this is you and me. So often, we're not the infant who's crying just for their father. We're pitching a fit because we didn't get it exactly the way we want it. Right? Our Heavenly Father, just like natural fathers, know when the child is actually hurt and when they're pitching a fit. Right? One requires comfort. The other requires correction. Right? Y'all been on the receiving of that? Often we focus on the correction part of being on the receiving end of that from the Lord. But he also knows when we need comfort, when we need to be picked up, when we need to be carried. And Lord, Lord knows that we need to recognize that all of our sustenance and all of our deliverances are through him. And he delights to comfort you. Okay? Full of compassion, pity. Let's go back to Isaiah, not Isaiah, Psalm 63. Psalm 86, 15. Gracious. All right. This word gracious, we talked about it a minute ago. The root word is to bend or to stoop down in kindness to an inferior. Maybe the best example I could come up with, maybe you could find a better one, is in Exodus 22. When God has given the law to Moses, hear how he provides for the poor. 
Exodus 22, and I want verses 26 and 27. If thou at all take thy neighbor's raiment to pledge, thou shalt deliver it unto him by that the sun goeth down. Okay, context. Your neighbor borrows something from you. You don't trust him to give it back, and so you say, okay, you can have my axe or my plow or whatever you're allowing out. It may even be money, but I need something in return, a pledge, surety. And in this context, if he's so poor that all he's got is the shirt on his back and you take that, that's your context, you're holding his very shirt, the Lord says you give it back to him when the sun goes down. He may give it back to you the next day, but when the sun goes down, you give it back. Verse 27, for that is his covering only. It is his raiment for his skin. Wherein shall he sleep? And it shall come to pass when he crieth unto me that I will hear, for I am gracious. Often we don't want to hear the cries of the poor, but our Heavenly Father, who is so great and so high, will bend here to hear the cries of this one who no one in the world would, would care not based on his strength or his ability to influence them or any of those worldly things that we ascribe value to people, which are not, not a good way to do it. But the Lord is willing to bend and hear. Okay. Let's go back to Psalm 86. The third attribute is long-suffering. Y'all know what long-suffering is. It's patience. That being slow to anger. And part of this, as you're thinking through this, is we're trying to figure out what is it, what does goodness in the Lord look like? What is that taught like? I want you to also be thinking in terms of the word godly. Okay? Sometimes I get my head wrapped around, well, I can't be God, because I'm thinking about the eternal, I'm not immortal, I'm not invisible, I'm, I'm none of those things. I can't be godly. God is good. You and I can do these things. I should be full of compassion. I should be gracious. I should be long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Right? Long-suffering, that's patience. All right? And finally, of great mercy. That, that's just referring to the kindnesses that he shows. Now, some kindnesses are to all the world. He causes the sun to rise on both the good and the evil, and the rain on the, to fall on the good and the evil. I mean, there are some blessings that are across the world, and there are some that are reserved for his people. And you'll see those qualifications throughout there. There are different ways that he will refer to his people, Either as what they're doing, as that would be evidence of what they are, not how they get there. Okay? But plenteous in mercy. That's abundance. Alright? A superabundance of blessings, kindness, favor. He is good. The Lord is good. If you remember nothing else from today, the Lord is good. He's full of compassion. He's gracious. He's long suffering. He's plenteous in mercy and truth. Now, we like patterns, right? Psalm 103. You're going to see these same four repeated. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful. Same word as compassion, full of compassion. The Lord is merciful, gracious, bending to bestow, slow to anger, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy or kindness. Go again to 145. Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. 
Go again a little even farther to Joel. Book of Joel. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. All right, two after Daniel. Joel, chapter 2 and verse 13. We'll start in verse 12. Therefore also saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, inward turning, not an outward, rend your heart, not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. Why can you turn? Why can you always turn back to God? For He is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and mercy and repenteth Him of the evil. We'll go look at one last spot. Just to see these expressions carried out in Jonah chapter 4. Next book, Jonah. Everybody remembers the first chapter when Jonah gets chunked overboard, gets eaten up, um, carried around for a few days, three days, and then gets vomited out on dry land. He goes and finally preaches and teaches in Nineveh. His charge was to go there initially, and he fled from it. He didn't want to because he wanted to see the Lord destroy them. Right? He was a little vindictive. All right? He got there, and they heard his teaching, and they repented. They sat in ashes and sackcloth. I mean, the king, from the king all the way down to the animals, said, nobody eats or drinks until the sun goes down. We're going to pray that may the Lord, who can, know, who can tell if the Lord will turn to repent and turn away his fierce anger that we perish not? So he was telling, the Lord is going to wipe you out. All right? So they did that in verse 10 of chapter 3 said, And God saw their works and they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them and he did it not. Okay? He didn't change there. He's immutable. But he chose to delay the punishment that he was going to send. He sends it later um, as a companion book. We'll chase that rabbit. But how did Noah, how did, not Noah, Jonah react? Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Can we just see him there stewing? These folks are wicked. I knew they were wicked. I didn't want to come. Because you would have mercy on them. And they need to get what's coming to them. Verse 2, he prayed unto the Lord, saying, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? When I was yet in my country, therefore I fled unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thou of the evil. Lord asked, doest thou well to be angry? Is he doing good? He's angry with God for being good. Ooh. God is good. God does not change. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. All right, so if you remember nothing else from this, Psalm 100 and verse 5, the Lord is good. And then I, uh, Psalm 68 and 15, it's got the four ways that his goodness is manifested or built into that definition. However you want to think about it, these are the things that I'm lumping in to better understand goodness is compassion, graciousness, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy or kindness, okay? So I've got just a few questions that come to my, my head 
One is, well, how big is God's goodness? Well, how does the scripture describe Psalm 33 and 5? Psalm 33, verse 5. We'll start in verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right. All his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. It is full of the goodness of the Lord. How big is God's goodness? Mighty big. You could probably safely say infinite. But the earth is described here as being full of it. Go to Psalm 145. We were there a minute ago, but we're going to back up one verse. Psalm 145, and I want verse 7 this time. Let's start at verse 5. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. Verse 7. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and sing of thy righteousness. Verse 8, we have the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. Right? That great there means abundant. Okay? Will it ever end? Psalm 52, 1 says no. Psalm 52, verse 1. And we know that because God is good and God doesn't change, so goodness can't change. So will it ever end? No. Psalm 52.1 says, Why boasteth thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually, forever, to time out of existence. The goodness of God continues. Will it end? No. Now here's a harder question. Can you and I always perceive the goodness of God? I think the answer has to be no, based on Psalm 34 and verse 8. Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Now, if you always know that he's good and you can always see it, why are you being admonished to taste or perceive and to look upon, there are times in your life where God hasn't changed, but your heart or your sin or whatever is going on, there are times when you won't feel it. That's why we don't depend on our fickle emotions. We depend on the Word of God and the truths contained therein. Oh, taste, perceive. That is, man, you know the difference between tasting fried chicken, right? And insert the nastiest thing here. I don't know. Pepperoni or pineapple pizza, right? There's something distinct about it. You can taste, you can perceive the goodness of God. That He is good. That's something I want. That's something I want you to want. Taste and see the Lord is good. Now guess what? The Lord can reveal His goodness to you. We sang this morning, Micah 6.8. The Lord hath shown thee, O man, what is good. Now when I sung that song all the way up until this week, I'm sorry, the goodness, just generic goodness. 
That's a placeholder for God Himself. God has shown you God. He has revealed Himself. God is good. He has shown me what is good, O oh man. He has shown you God. can't see it in an entirety, but you can see glimpses and more and more of Him. And there's more revealed in here if you'll go look for it. Right? And the Holy Spirit will reveal it to enlighten your eyes. He has shown thee, O oh man, what is good. It's God. It's God Himself. He can reveal Himself. And He is good. Psalm 23.6, right? Starts off with the Lord is my shepherd. What's going to follow me all the days of my life? Goodness and mercy. These are not just generic blessings. This is the shepherd. This is God. He is good. He is merciful. And that following is pursuing. That's a little bit different take in your head, right? Oh, things are going to have goodness. I'm going to have blessings. I'm going to have, you know, an easy time. That's not what it's saying. It's saying the shepherd will be with you there. He is good. He is mercy. He is merciful. I'm going to tell you something else. The Lord's goodness is enough. Psalm 65, verse 4. Psalm 65, verse 4. There's a lot going on in this verse. We could spend some time talking about election. We could talk about um, immediate um, Holy Spirit regeneration. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee that he may dwell in thy courts. But what I want is just the last clause. Not only the ones when we're you know, learning tulip and whatnot, we skip over and just stop there after the courts. But this is the clause that I want. We shall be satisfied. We shall be satisfied with what? With the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple, being with the Lord, his goodness. We will be satisfied. It means we'll have enough, not lacking, not wanting, filled. Jeremiah 31 and 14. We have this concepts repeated in a little bit clearer terms. Jeremiah 31, verse 14. I will satiate, make, make full, I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, saith who? Saith the Lord. My people shall be satisfied with my goodness. Because that's true, then we can honestly say in Psalm 63, because thy loving kindness is better than life. I'm going to start from verse 1, but I just want you to get that. O God, thou art my God. This is Psalm 63. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. The psalmist here at times had seen that power and glory in his sanctuary, and he wants to see it again. He's hungering and he's thirsting, like a starving man out in the desert, dying of thirst. That's how badly he's seeking the Lord. Verse 3, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. 
You know, there's a silly song, everybody wants to go to heaven, but don't want it, nobody want to go now, right? What that's saying is life is better than being with God. God's goodness, God's presence, God himself is better, is better than life. This week I want you all to read Psalm 63, Psalm 65, 135. 145 and Isaiah 66. If you didn't get a chance to write that down, I will put it up later. I thank y'all for your time and attention.